First Peter chapter two. Sorry, in verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So it is a sad time for the church here as we, uh, as we mourn uh, Juanita's passing. Um, but as I was thinking about you know, this, was, we're, we're studying this, and I was thinking about this passage and, and thought that it was kind of applicable and it would be good for us to think about this here tonight because that's who we are. We are a people of God. We are a chosen generation. We are elected by God. We are a royal priesthood of the King of Kings. We are a holy nation called and chose and redeemed and purchased by the blood of the Holy Lord Jesus. We're praising people walking in the light as God's people showing forth praises. We make known the greatness and the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are a sojourning people. And that's what he says there in verse number 11. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We are a people who were not the people of God, but then made the people of God. And we have been given so much in Christ that in the hardships of our life, in the trials of our life, we are to to remember who we are and what God has done for us. The beginning of the letter, Peter reminds them that they are a people loved by God, born again by God, into a a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. That by God's grace, we have that waiting for us. It's there. It's an inheritance. It belongs to us, given to us by our loving Father through the blood of Christ, giving us life and quickening by the Holy Spirit. We are a people of God. And that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, because that awaits us. And the, the scriptures tell us that, that we have that hope in heaven. Jesus tells us to lay not up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And so Peter reminds the people here that they are pilgrims and strangers, travelers going, to, going home. Thomas Watson, preaching on Philippians 1.21, said a believer's death is great gain. 
A saint can count what his losses for Christ are here, but he cannot count his gains there. Death to a believer is daybreak into the eternal brightness. And I just want to read you the points of his sermon here. He said, The believer's death shall bid an eternal farewell to sin and trouble. Believer's death shall gain the glorious sight of God to behold the glorified body of Jesus Christ. And if it be pleasant to behold the Son, how blessed sight it will be to see Christ, the Son of Righteousness, clothed in our human nature, shining in the glory above the angels. The saints at death shall not only have a sight of God, but shall enjoy His love. Believers at death shall gain a celestial palace not made with hands, shall gain the sweet society of glorified saints and angels, shall gain perfection of holiness, shall gain a royal magnificent feast, and shall gain the honor and dignity as we reign with Him. We shall gain the enjoyment of seeing God, of being transformed like Him. We shall enjoy loving Him, and we shall enjoy being in His love. The glorified saints cannot love God so much as they are loved by God. What is our love compared to His towards us? It's a candle compared to the sun. God loves His people on earth when they are black with sin and imperfection. But oh, how entirely He will love them when they are without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. On earth, we, suspend, we spend our years with sighing and weeping over their sins and afflictions. But in heavenly glory, their water shall be turned to wine, their sorrow shall be turned to joy. The vessels of mercy shall be filled and run over with joy. They have their palm branches and harps in their hands and tokens of their triumph and rejoicing. Heavenly Zion, that's our rest. That's our home. That's where our inheritance is. That's where we're traveling to. And so Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. That's who we are. And um, we're going to look at some of these things that um, verses 10 and 11 on, on who we are. First he says, we are a people of God. In verse 10, Peter's quoting Hosea. And Paul quotes Hosea in, in uh, Romans 9 and 11. And Peter's quoting this very same thing. That in times past, we were not a people. Now you think about that. We're born into this world. And we've got family in the flesh. And some people were born into good families. Some people were born into bad families. Some people were born into good countries. Some people were born into bad countries. Right? We, we all have our, our people, as it were. But oh, to be born into this world and not be the people of God. To be born into this world, strangers, aliens to the, to the grace of God. This corresponds to what Paul said, and Paul uh, dips into it much deeper in the book of Ephesians. So let's look over in the book of Ephesians and sort of open this up. So again, Peter's sort of riffing off Hosea 
where, and you can read that story. I talk about a tragic family. Um, Hosea's life story there with his, with his wife and his children. But, but his whole tragic marriage was a illustration of God's mercy towards sinners. But in uh, Ephesians 2, starting verse number 11, Paul says, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Who are we without Christ? Well, we're without country. Aliens. And you think about that in the context of the Old Testament. Who were the people who were without God in the Old Testament? Well, that was the Gentiles. That was the Philistines and the Amorites and the Egyptians and the Babylonians, the Gentiles. Us. Not Jews, not in that commonwealth. The people outside, the unclean. Without community, without the commonwealth of the people of God. Without that covenant. Without hope. Without God. It's the atheist in that that sense. Without a God. We had gods of our own making, but, but not the true and living God. That's who we were. That was our identity without Christ. But in verse 13, but now, oh, what, what blessed hope is that for us? But now. It's a dark, dark picture. He says, remember who you were, Gentiles in the flesh. You had no hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were sometimes afar off. You, you were, we were far off. You were, you were outside the camp. But now you've been brought in close. You've been brought in to... Uh, the family of God. For he is our peace who has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body on the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto you, which were far off, and to them that were nigh. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We, we once were far, far away. 
for we were brought near. Once we were separated, but then he made us one. Once we were blocked out, a wall, as it were, between us, the, the veil separating us, the, the, the walls of the tabernacle keeping us unclean uh, aliens away from the, the holy things of God, but that's all been tore down. We were once enemies, but he made us peace. The commandments were against us. Not that the commandments were bad, but they were against us. But in his flesh, he fulfilled those laws for us. And those laws are no longer against us. Now they're, they've been either fulfilled or now are kind counselors to guide us in walking in the Spirit. Why? Because he made peace for us. We were at war, but he made peace. He reconciled us to God. He He's slain the enmity thereby. He is our peace. We have union with him. He has made us one and broken down the walls of partition. We are united to Christ and we have peace with him. Why? But how? By the blood. By the blood of Christ's sacrifice, we're brought nigh. We're no longer far off, but brought in. We're no longer at war, no longer outcasts. But Christ's blood gives us access um, to the Father. And we are in the family. We are one with Christ. He abolished in his flesh the enmity. He removed it and he made one new man in himself. Those sins were paid for on the cross. That which made us in enemies and sin was dealt with. And this peace was both preached to us and declared for us, this peace was made in Christ. Sin was dealt with. Enmity was slain. The obstacles were removed. The good news was declared. And Jesus paid it all. Here we are, enemies. And look at all what God did for us. And all that God made us to be. He gave us peace. He gave us union. He gave us access. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So here you were, born into this world of sinner, exiles and aliens, with no help and no hope, with no God in the world, and Christ comes and he dies for our sins and he tears down the wall that, that separates us. He, he pays for the sins that, that has, has, had defiled us. He removed the enmity that had separated us and brought us near not far off as strangers, but, but brought us to we have access even unto the Father through him. Being made one in Christ. That, that is who we are now. In Christ. And then in verse 19 he said, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. You used to be the Gentiles, far off and separated. You used to be without help and without hope. You used to be uh, apart from the, the covenant of promise. You used to be um, aliens from the commonwealth. But now, therefore, you are no more strangers. You're no more foreigners. but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's who you are. That's who God has made you to be. Built upon a foundation, not made of sand, not built upon the sand, not made with hands, but built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That rock that shall not be moved, as Peter said, that living stone. And the building fitly framed together. That's who God has made as a fellow citizen, children of the king, a child of God, brought into the family of God. And we are the, the tongue and groove of that building. Unified and, and we are not alone. We are not alone. You know, that's one thing that people today in today's society, they, they're lonely. They don't have anybody. Especially, I feel so bad for for young people of this generation. They don't know how to talk to people, don't know how to interact with people, um, just consumed on devices and so forth. And and sure, they have a thousand friends on the computer, but nobody to talk to. Lonely, exiled in this world, even though there's nothing there, let alone exiled from God. But you know what you and I are? We are the children of God. We are the people of God built upon that foundation, fitly uh, framed together into a holy temple in the Lord, built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That, that we are the body of Christ. That we have not only the blessed indwelling of the Spirit, the fellowship of Christ, the fellowship of the Father, but we have the fellowship of the saints. Fellow sojourners, fellow pilgrims. It isn't amazing that you can tell uh, a child of God your your problems and what is the response? It's not something that you learn, it's just something that you do. What is the response? We'll be praying for you. Saints of God uh, will pray no matter, you know, they all over the countryside praying and, and helping our fellow pilgrims, praying for one another, that we that the Lord would bless and help and strengthen. That's who we are. We are the, the, the people of God, no longer strangers. And that that's very important for in a time of trouble, in a time of of, of trial, to remember who we are. Because you look out around us, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that we have all these blessings. It doesn't seem that, that God, um, God uh, has blessed us in such a way. But, but just remember who you are and what God has done for you. And that's just right now. Think about what awaits for us. Well, as we go on, Peter says in verse number 11, he says, Dearly beloved. Verse 11, he's, he's going to start a transition. Because now it's going to get into how we live. Well, we're not going to get into that tonight. We're just going to stop about halfway through verse number 11. But 
Notice how he starts, dearly beloved. Peter's a good model for Christians. No doubt what you read in the rest of this will convict us. There's some, there's some hard things in the upcoming chapters. Some convicting things. Look how he starts. He said, dearly beloved. That's how Peter views these, these Christians. Not as troublesome people. Not as headaches. Not as um, you know, people he's got to deal with. I don't know if it's true or not. I heard, uh, I've heard tales where preachers were saying that the things such as uh, they love, they love the pastor. The only problem is is the people. I thought, well, no, you don't love being a pastor. You don't, you don't love being a preacher. You love talking in front of people is what you love doing. Because how could you, how could you do, how could you serve the Lord's uh, people and not love the people? And, and, and Peter's not just saying this. He, he, he says, dearly beloved. I think, I think this has two, you can take it two ways, and both of them are, are right, I think. Dearly beloved, Peter loves them. Peter could have just said, I'm the apostle, listen to me. You do what I say. But no, he comes in love and love for them. Lighten said, it's the advice of a friend. One that truly loves and aims at nothing but your good. It's because I love you that I entreat you. And entreat you as you love yourselves to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. But also, we could, um, I think, rightly take it, dearly beloved of God. These saints, no doubt were dearly beloved by Peter. But I know for a fact they were dearly beloved of God. And I know for a fact you, child of God, are dearly beloved by God. We are dearly beloved by our Father in heaven. Our Father loves us. Say, how do you know that? Because He sent His only begotten Son into this world to die for us. He loves his people because he showed his love in offering his son, the only begotten of the Father, the dearly beloved one, as a sin sacrifice for you. You're dearly beloved by your Savior. Well, how do I know I'm dearly beloved by my Savior? Tell me a greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus told those disciples, you're my friends. What greater love can be displayed than one that would lay down his life for you? The one that would sacrifice himself. One who would live for you and die for you and be buried for you, but then rise for you. And then sit at the right hand of the Father for you and intercede for you. You are dearly beloved by the Savior. You don't think about it a lot. 
You are dearly beloved by the Spirit. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Spirit points us to the Lord Jesus, but, but, but we too are loved by the Spirit. Romans 15.30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So there he's talking about for the love of the Spirit, but it is the Spirit who indwells us. It is the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. It is the Spirit who indwells us and keeps us and gives us life and preserves us and seals us into the day of redemption. He is the third person of the, the Trinity, and he is his will and his love uh, is no different or cannot be uh, separated, rather, or antagonistic against the, the love of the Father and the Savior. You are loved, dearly beloved. And not loved because you're so good and loved because you do, you do so much, but loved because you're loved. He loves you because he loves you. You're dearly beloved because he has chosen to, to shed his love upon you. Let's, let's look in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 1. Here's a text of scripture from the Old Testament uh, speaking of being the beloved of God. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. And so he said, my well-beloved had as a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered it out of the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. And then, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I had not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked in it, it should bring forth grapes it brought forth wild grapes and then so it goes on to talk about the the judgment because of the 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 sin and so forth that had come in but when he's talking about the nation his people there this well-beloved vineyard it's the illustration of his people his well-beloved God loves his people. You are loved of God. And in trials and troublesome times, what greater strength is there than to remember the love of God for you, for you in particular, child of God, that he cares for you. He, he provides for you. He, he listens to you. He, your Savior is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. To know, um, to know and to be touched with the, the extent of our trials. You don't have a priest who came in the form of an angel that doesn't know what it's like to hurt, who doesn't know what it's like to cry, who doesn't know what it's like 
to lose a blessed friend? Who doesn't know what it's like to stand at the side of the grave? But you have a high priest, you have a Savior who was in the flesh, experienced the hardships of our humanity and yet without sin. And why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he loves you. Because you are his dearly beloved. Because without his sacrifice and without his love for us, we would have died and gone to hell. And because we were without help and without hope, and he he chose to, to show his love, he came and did all things necessary for us that we might have everlasting life. And so that's who you are tonight. You're dearly beloved. And then the last thing we look at tonight is we're pilgrims and strangers, sort of bring it back to where we were at the first. Dearly beloved, he said, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Foreigners and travelers. If you're an alien, if you're a foreigner and you're a traveler, where is it that you're wanting, wanting to go? You want to go home, aren't you? We're just we're trying to get to our destination. Just wanted to get home. We went out, drove out to the Bible conference. It was a lot of fun, seeing new sites, going through new country, going through states we'd never seen before. I saw desert, never seen desert before. Saw um, buffalo, never saw that before. But when we was coming home, and we got to somewhere in the Midwest after we saw. I think we got out of South Dakota and we started seeing things that we'd seen before and the sort of the newness wore off and said, oh yeah, we've seen that before. You know what we all desired? We just want to be home. We just want to get home. And this all stuff is nice, but, but we long to be back where we, we are known and we, we know we, we, we just want to get back home. We were at home in this world, very comfortable in this world, very happy in this world. As far as you know, as far as you know, because that's what we see. You get a you get a, a job, buy a house, have a family. You know, that's that's what life is. So, the story goes. So, uh, people will tell you. But there's not, there's not a lot of uh, lasting pleasure in that. It's just, that's just temporary. You get real happy when you uh, buy the house, and then it's not very much longer until you're fixing the house and, and replacing parts. And, and like Crystal and I was looking at today, uh, fixing leaky pipes and and all the stuff that happens when you don't catch a leaky pipe and all the stuff you got to replace after that, right? Love to be home and then, but don't love all the problems that are there. Even in this world that you desire to be home, there's problems even in the house, right? 
you and I were at home in this world, but then we were made to realize that this life is vanity, it's fleeting. We're like, it's like the field of grass that withers and fades away. As Peter said, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. And then you see that and you say, I don't have anything. I don't have any hope. I don't have any, I don't have any hope. If, if all this life is just like a, a flower that, that's here for a while and, and, and dies and, and fades away, then I don't have any hope. Then we heard of Jesus who came and broke down that wall of partition, who came and made peace for us, who came and died for us and took away our sins and made uh, peace with us through the blood of his cross and, and dealt with our sin problem and, and provided the righteousness that we didn't have and gave us all and brought us into the family and took us who were as the flower of grass fading away and gave us life and took us that was dead in our trespasses and sins and, and set us upon the living stone and born us again with the word of God, by the word of God, which endures forever and ever, and brought us into the family and made us a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a spiritual house. the dearly beloved. And Peter says, strangers and pilgrims who are on your way to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that doesn't fade away for, uh, reserved in heaven for you. You're kept by the power of God. And though if need be, for a time, you're in heaviness through many trials and tribulations. This trial of your faith will be as more precious than gold when Jesus appears. And you haven't seen him, but you love him. And you will rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of the faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, you, strangers and pilgrims, where are we traveling? We're traveling to heavenly Zion. We're traveling home to that inheritance. To that Savior whom we love. So, like I said, Juanita will be greatly missed. The family's really going to miss her. She was here her whole life. To, you know, they're saying just a while back when they took her to the Smoky Mountains only a couple times she'd ever been out of out of the state. She's here for a long time, but you know what she really was? Even though she hadn't traveled much out of West Virginia, what she was, she was a, a traveler, a pilgrim, a sojourner. Because this world not her, was not her home. She was a traveler on her way home. And her course... She finished her course. She ran her race. She's in the Father's house. She's home. 
then you and I tonight, we're on that same pilgrimage, we're on that same journey. Strangers and pilgrims here, travelers on a straight and narrow path with our eyes on another country. And those who have gone on before are, are there now without pain and suffering, who have run their course and have gained all that that God has promised and waiting even more that God has promised that they have not yet received. And we live by faith as pilgrims and strangers. Hebrews 11 says, Noah by faith built an ark, trusting in God's promises. Abraham by faith When God called him to pick up and go and travel, he left it all, not knowing where he's going, but trusting in God's promises. By faith, he sojourned in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him the same promise. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11 says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Sarah had strength to conceive and bear a son because she trusted in God's promises. And all these died in faith, not receiving the promises. They saw them, they believed them, they trusted in them, they confessed them. But they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They looked for a better country. They looked for a heavenly country. And by faith, they sojourned. And by faith, they were pilgrims. And they lived looking above hardships and trials to the Lord who had called them and trusted in in those promises. So you dearly beloved tonight, look to Christ and to all that he gave you and all that he promised you. And remember who you are. Remember what he's done for you. And remember where we're headed. And uh, that will... Uh, as the scriptures tell us, encourage us to, to press on in faith. I pray that God will bless each one tonight and uh, help us to look to our blessed Savior.